0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F. Lock the All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? What the fucking Navians? What's going on? This is Mark Maron. This is my podcast. You've tuned in. You've downloaded. You're streaming. Whatever you're doing, it's me. I'm here. I'm here in your head. How's it going Uh, today on the show? uh, Actor Michael Shannon. You've seen him in everything, yeah. Boardwalk Empire, the movie uh, based on the play Bug. He was in uh, Revolutionary Road. He was in. uh, We'll talk about what he was in, but he's uh, he's an intense dude. You generally thought of as a a heavy, scary. But uh, but I had a very beautiful, thoughtful conversation with the guy, and believe me, I was nervous. I didn't know if he would talk. He doesn't seem like the guy you watch him on screen. It's like, does that guy talk? Well, he does, and uh, he, and he he's a uh, he's a real actor with a real uh, a real sweet uh, you know intense story uh, about you know getting to where he is and his thoughts on things. Uh, it's been what, however long it's been since I told you. I took the Twitter off my phone. Now, I mean some of you were, you know, quick to jump on me when I go on on my computer and say like, "Ah, I thought you couldn't stay away, huh?" I, baby steps, man. Baby steps. But I will say this, yeah, you know, I've been off it for a few days, like what is, it? I don't know, ever long. It's been 4 or 5 days. I'm halfway through a novel. Uh, I'm looking at people and I'm looking at them hard and I'm and I'm thinking about things. At the pace that my brain naturally operates on, and uh, it's a welcomed. It's not even a distraction. It's a fucking revelation. You don't realize how much your brains get zapped. You know, I had this fantasy that that uh, Twitter and Facebook both decided to take a hiatus. They just shut them off. They 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 shut them off for two weeks. They just said, "Yeah, we just decided we're gonna we got to retool some shit, whatever excuse." They're privately owned companies. They can do whatever they want, and they just shut down. And then all of a sudden, you're like, ah, you're sitting there fidgeting. You're like, what? I'm well, I'm all alone. I'm um, I'm disconnected from the shitstorm. What do I got to do? Hey, who's that guy? Ah, uh, that's the guy who lives across the street. I wonder what I wonder what he's doing. I think I need to talk to him in person. I got to, I don't even, do I know how to do that anymore? Hey, hey man, you all right? You all right? Are we all right? What are you going to do? How you feeling about it? Yeah, can I, you want to have some coffee or something? What are you working on your, you need any help with that? What are you doing? You putting up a, what is that? Is that a, 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 t- you building a bunker? yeah can help out I guess Oh maybe I should buy some stuff. Oh man oh, it's good to see you. I, I kind of don't want to leave yet. I'll tell you man I, I just started reading this book and it's fucking genius. like it, it's like it's been a long time to you know for me to just focus on a fucking novel and not drift. I mean I, I realized when I started reading the book that I, I've always had that problem where I'll just read and my brain's doing another thing. But the eyes are reading, brain's not registered. And I'm like, oh shit! I got to go back three pages because I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, I was winning something in my head. But, um, but I started reading the Sellout by Paul Beatty, and it, it happens to be one of the funniest, most genius pieces of satire I've ever fucking laid my hands on. It came. I, I I'd love to talk to him, and uh, I, it's a hard book to even explain. It is so. Uh, lyrically and uh, uh ling- language wise just so elaborate and so fucking dense and rich and hilarious It just fucks with language and it fucks with his it's it, i don't even know how to explain the book it sort of turns the black experience inside out it's just an ongoing firework display of language and imagery and it's fucking hilarious and poignant and resonant, and I'm only halfway through and I can't fucking put it down, but I'm just, the only reason that I made time to read it, because I usually read nonfiction. My buddy Sam Lipsight, you know, recommended it. It's elaborate, it is, it, there, it's no fucking holds barred, and it just turns it all inside out and dances. It's about a guy that uh, sort of through a series of events, uh, a black dude, uh, through a series of events, you know, finds himself almost involuntarily uh, having a slave, and and trying to bring back a urban farm plot where he grew up in in L.A. out there in uh, by I guess it's by South Central, I, I'm, it's it's in that area. And he, I know I know it sounds crazy, and it sounds wrong, and it 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 certainly is crazy. But it's certainly wrong. But it's wrong for all the right reasons. It is a, it is a power punch of, of literary genius. What a fucking treat. What a fucking treat to read. And to uh, fill your brain with something amazing that's provocative. And to talk to people. Yeah. Turn it off. Turn it off. A lot of it's an illusion. I do also want to say I had a, a whirlwind... Cross country trek. I uh, I got back from Nashville, Tennessee, this morning. I performed there last night at the t Center at the James K Polk Theater, and it was fucking spectacular. Great audience, got about nine hundred people out, and uh, I just I tell you, man, and uh, people who listen to this show know this that you know over the years, you know I've developed a, a fairly. uh, uh loving relationship with the south you know having been sort of uh, narrow-minded about it in the past you know i started going down there different parts uh, and uh, just seeing that part of the country and and i really i really have i always have a, a, a beautiful time down there and i always have very nice people uh, come out and and i always uh, love eating down there i love the way the place looks but, you know, going down there, this is the first trip I've made post-election. I yeah, I, was, uh, I was nervous. I'm nervous anyways. And, you know, I'm flying on Southwest. Not great, but good, you know, if you do the early check-in thing. And I had that one first-class seat in Southwest where, you know, by the door there's one seat that doesn't have a seat in front of it. And somehow I managed even being A36 to get that seat. So I was like, things are working out all right. As we're flying in, man, and we're coming into Tennessee, you know, I'm looking out and I see the fall colors and I see all that dense, you know, southern land, and I'm like, "Hey, man, that's that doesn't look like Twitter. That looks like America." And I'm and I'm going to perform in a great old city. I stayed at a beautiful hotel right across from the venue. This kid opened for me, local guy who uh, my buddy Nate Bargazzi uh, recommended, Josh Wagner. And I'd never met him before, young dude, for local. Nate picked me up at the airport, eased me into it, quelled my uh, my uh, nervousness. Um, uh, I love Nate, and we got to we got to talking, and we went and had some lunch, and then I just sort of locked in, and I and I and I go I go to the venue. My buddy Mike Binder, uh, who I've talked to on this show, comedian from the old days, but uh, very busy movie and television director and novel writer. He happened to be in town. He's directing uh, episodes of the show Nashville. And he came down. And I went over to the venue. It was a big, beautiful venue. And uh, I didn't really know what to do or how to talk. You know, sometimes that happens to me. I, I know you doubt that. But, uh, you know, I usually have to speak my feelings and speak my mind and speak my fears and and speak my, uh, my anger to in a relative degree so it doesn't seem detached or strident or or bizarre but i do have feelings and you know we yeah, be, americans are going to have feelings and their and feelings are running hot obviously you know not everyone who voted for trump is a racist misogynist nutbag but but there are those within it and i know we're all americans and i get that but there just comes a point where the even dudes I know who are Republican and vote a party line or whatever, you're like, all right, so, okay, so I get, I, you did that. I understand, you know, what our relationship is now. You know, it's troubling, but, but, you know, I've known you a long time. And then, you know, they're like, come on, man, we're, we're all Americans. This shit will sort itself out. Come on, we all love Tom Petty. We all love Tom Petty. We, you know, we like barbecue. You know, I mean, we, you know, you, every, you know I I like a, a burrito occasionally. Y- you do too, right? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, let's just let's just be Americans and and work through this together. I I'd, I'd like to believe that's possible. But what about that guy? What that dude? He he likes Tom Petty and burritos. Yeah, but he thinks all Muslims are terrorists, and uh, he doesn't think gay people should get married. I know, man. But I mean, you know, he's still yeah. He likes burritos. He likes burritos and Tom Petty. I was to Tom Petty with that guy. Yeah, I know, but still, like it, it's, it, it, you know, it seems to be a, a little wrong-minded. Ah, come on, we're all Americans. He likes Tom Petty. Yeah, but he, he hates gay people. So, oh, wait, you know, Tom Petty. Come on, rock and roll, bro. Well, I don't know if Tom Petty can bridge that gap, but I understand where you're coming from, and uh, it's going to be, it's going to, there's going to be struggle. But performing in Nashville was just great. Uh, You you know, I did about an hour and a half. Josh Wagner did great. I got up there and I talked about where I was at in that moment. And like something actually happened for me down there that I don't think has ever really happened. And I don't know why it happened. I guess it was a matter of time, but there was no, absolutely no distance between me and that audience, and me in that space, like there's there's times in your life where whatever it is you do for work, however long you've worked hard to do it, if you get the opportunity to do it and you love your work, something just happens, and if you're lucky, and you get into a zone where there's no self consciousness, there's no moment of uh, oh no, what's gonna you know or or uh, am I doing okay? There's just no insecurity, there's no self consciousness. You're just you know kind of purely in the moment and present and moving through something uh, at your own time and at your own speed. And and that happened there. Like I was on stage and I knew I was in front of 800 people. I knew they were listening. I knew they were laughing. And uh, I had no, there was no sort of self consciousness. I was just in it. And I was in it all the way through. And it, and it was at my own pace and my own speed. And I was free with my thoughts and my, and the jokes and everything. But it was just so, whole it was like you know it was almost like a moment like i know carnegie hall happened but i kind of had to fight my way into being present there and maybe it was that experience you know maybe it was you know just the 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 appreciation and immediacy of what's happening maybe has something to do with with not being on twitter and then realizing that that doesn't represent the best of people or all of people in any way And, you know, just dealing with the the nice people at the hotel, nice people at the venue, beautiful people in the audience, seeing some comic friends down there, having some nice food. I didn't eat the hot chicken. I I heated my own concerns about uh, having a, a, uh, you know, just my intestines full of burning spices on a four hour plane ride. You know, I'm glad I did not do that. But uh, again, people hanging out with people. Just gotta look him right in the face. It's better if you're looking at someone right in the face. So my guest, Michael Shannon, as I said, was a little intimidated just by my projection of what he might be like. And uh, and it was a it was a pretty intense, pretty uh pretty uh great conversation. Uh, he's in a few new movies. Nocturnal Animals opens uh, this Wednesday, November twenty-third. he's also in the film Loving, uh, which is now playing. And this is uh, this is me. you get your podcasts. Shannon. Do you live in town?
1: I live in New York City. So you're just here for a little while? Yeah, I got here on Wednesday. Yeah? Yeah. And how, do you like coming out here? I do. You know, I lived out here for a couple of years. Uh, I came out here in 99. Yeah? Yeah was here for a couple of years, so I, I have some nostalgia for it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In 99. 99. You've been at it a long time. Yeah, I we <laughs> you... got cranking about 25 years ago. Yeah. It's, it's started... wild to think about that, isn't it? it? It is, although, you know, it seems like a short period of time considering uh, in, in comparison to some of the other actors that I admire, you know. Well, you'll Look be at somebody there. like somebody like I saw... Sir Ben Kingsley last night. You did, yeah. We're at the Governor's Awards. Uh huh. Yeah, they're uh, they were giving uh, honorary lifetime awards to people. Jackie Chan. Oh was yeah, there. He yeah. Got an award. Um, and Ben got one too. Ben was presenting. Had you met him before? Ben, no, I just uh, I just saw him give a little the, give the speech. I didn't get to actually meet him. I just saw him in something. Oh, I rewatched The Sopranos.
0: Oh, is he? And in he that? had that one part as himself when when uh, Imperioli goes to LA to oh. meet with the, uh, to talk to Ben Kingsley's agent. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he, he just plays himself a heightened version, obviously. I don't right. think
1: he's that much of an asshole. I didn't really watch The Sopranos, which is kind of, I guess I should be embarrassed about, because I worked with all those guys on Boardwalk, but I, I never... Why not? Seen, I don't know. I, d- I don't... I very rarely watch TV... Uh-huh. Although one of my favorite shows was Dr. Katz, which you were, yeah, you were on. Yeah, I did a
0: couple episodes of those.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's...
0: Squiggle, there's my Dr. Katz picture right up there. Oh, my
1: God. <laughs> I'm actually in awe. <laughs> How old were you, though? You must have been like a kid. Well, I didn't watch them when they were airing. Oh. I have them all on DVD.
0: Oh, you just like it?
1: Yeah, we, there was a period with me and my my girlfriend, we would watch it pretty much every night. Before we went to bed.
0: That really? We,
1: we'd watch a couple episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got a great timing, Jonathan. Yeah. And that H. John Benjamin. Oh he's funny, man. Smokes. So funny. Yeah. Still really funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a new yeah,
0: some new show. He's always got something going on. He's, yeah. he's hilarious. He's yeah. a hilarious guy. And
1: you you don't but you don't do a lot of comedies, do you? I mean well, like, I tend to find uh, comedic uh, elements and and things that I do uh, that may be considered dramatic. Well, but I the, saw
0: Elvis and uh, Nixon.
1: There's an example, I guess. Yeah,
0: that um, that I think that's definitely a comedy.
1: Yeah, it's kind of all over the place. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of trying to recreate one of the stranger events in United States history. I would say.
0: I thought it was pretty amazing. I you know I thought that you you know to take on Elvis is no easy. Thing. Feet.
1: oh it's horrifying <laughs> I, I i didn't think it was a good idea it was um this producer holly yeah. holly Wiersma, i had worked with her on bug uh-huh. and she every once in a while she'd say you know you should really play elvis and uh her husband at the time cassian uh cassian's brother carrie elways actor he was uh
0: i know who that guy is. yeah yeah he
1: princess was, bride exactly yeah yeah he was writing the script about Elvis and Nixon. He's sitting, and Holly kept saying, "You got to do it. You got to do it." And I was like, Ugh. "Yeah, I, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable because I, I, I didn't really know a lot about Elvis but Yeah, uh, yeah. She talked me into it. I'm, I'm really glad I did it. Why? Because um, Elvis is a fascinating person. Like beyond just the you know icon, uh-huh. cult, cultural icon he is, and um. You know, in the movie, you, you see his relationship with a fellow, Jerry Schilling, who yeah. was one of his best friends. Um, that's a
0: real relationship.
1: That's real. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry, I met Jerry and spent a lot of time with Jerry. And Jerry and I went to Memphis, and he showed me all the things you would want to see if uh, you yeah. were playing Elvis. Uh-huh. And, and Jerry kind of gave me his blessing and and said he was very interested to see what I was going to do he believed that I would maybe go beyond the surface uh-huh. uh, the caricature of it and cause you know he, he he has a lot of love for his friend he misses his friend and he, and he thinks his friend Elvis is kind of a un, misunderstood human being oh yeah uh, yeah in what way specifically well you know he says Elvis died of a broken heart you know uh-huh. he uh Elvis was a very serious artist he wanted he really loved acting and he wanted to be um taken more seriously as an actor he he got caught up in a lot of contracts and things he wound up doing things that other people wanted him to do and uh if he was left to his own devices he might have pursued some different you know paths he was a very spiritual person yeah I would have never guessed in a million years but you know um his favorite book was Sid Hartha, which I had actually never read, but because I found that piece of information, I said, well, I guess I should read Sid Hartha. I never read it. Yeah. How I was it? It's beautiful. But, I, uh, you know, I, half the time as I was reading it, I just imagined Elvis, like, sitting in a chair reading this book, and <laughs> and it kind of blew my mind. But, you know, he was always looking for... Peace. Yeah, he, he wanted peace, and um, you know, Jerry said even though he was one of Elvis's best friends, he could only understand Elvis up to a certain point because it was a very lonely. Elvis is a very lonely thing to be. Yeah, there's nobody else that really can comprehend what it was. So, anyway, he said, "I, I think you might be able to pull it off." And so. how,
0: how close were the? The events because I watched it on the plane, yeah. and uh, you know, I you know, I like Elvis like everybody else, but both you and Kevin Spacey somehow were able to you know transcend caricature, yeah, and and get into the humanity of these guys. I mean, you know, one thing you don't want to do having not any real memory of either of them because right. I'm 53 and I you know, I was a kid, but you know, we've been taught that you, you, you know, you're not supposed to look at Nixon is a human being and then and then you start to think like well how I don't never I never even thought about the humanity of Elvis right so and you both were able to do that in a fairly warm and comedic way
1: oh thanks yeah it's you know it's it's fascinating because it's a real event it really happened and yet the conversation that between Elvis and Nixon when they were alone in that room nobody knows what they talked about so
0: that's all fictionalized
1: yeah there's no document of that there's no recording of that Uh um
0: how long did it go on for
1: you know it wasn't uh it wasn't too lengthy i mean it it was a strange thing for the president to do during office hours so it couldn't be like uh an all day long thing but uh there's probably a little bit longer than it is in the movie yeah but um it's just a really unusual story. I, it's very funny. I'm glad I did it. Yeah, it was good. And Spacey,
0: I thought, acted the shit out of that thing.
1: Yeah, he was really impressive, particularly because, you know, he he did his whole part in five days. Uh-huh. And we started with the oval. We started basically with the end. Yeah. Right, with the, the meeting between yeah. us, which is... It's kind of crazy sometimes how you have to do that how yeah. you at the first day of shooting you're jumping into the climatic scene of the movie you're like well I don't even know what I'm doing yet and here we are but uh he was so prepared and um and really gracious and easy to work with I was nervous you know I had never worked with him but uh Were you a fan? Oh yeah, yeah yeah, yeah you know. He's a good he actor. Yeah, he's been around. He's been killing it for a long time, though. So. <laughs> yeah. so where now, where did you Where did you grow up? I was born in Lexington, Kentucky. And horse I, country. Sort of, kind of, yeah, yeah. On the outskirts of Lexington yeah. are a lot of beautiful horse farms. And, of course, we have the Keeneland racetrack, which I prefer to Churchill Downs. Yeah. Secretly. Well, not secretly, no. But Did you, uh, did you go there a lot? we would go there sometimes they had a real good uh breakfast you could get there so yeah. you go on the weekends and uh the whole family get your biscuits and your eggs and then yeah. you watch a couple of races yeah i mean my mom it would be with like my mom and maybe some of my younger siblings um how many you got well with my mom um she had me and then she had two girls and a boy after me uh with some other dude uh not not my father yeah this, this guy uh big mike yeah. which is what we call him because i was little mike i guess and then uh big my, mike big mike sounds, yeah. sounds
0: a little ominous was he an all right
1: guy <sighs> Jeez, louise <laughs> <laughs> we weren't we weren't the best of buddies but yeah. i sure do love those kids uh yeah. so it wasn't all bad i guess and then uh and my dad had two daughters before he met my mom. Oh, so, wow. So I guess I have four sisters and a brother, yeah. And, and your dad lived somewhere else? Well, my yeah, when I was very young, my dad moved to, uh, to Chicago, which is how I eventually wound up in Chicago. Great city. Yeah, I think so, too, yeah. Uh, it certainly was a great city to start acting in. It, so you
0: would go back and forth?
1: Yeah, you know, like summer break, Christmas break, all that kind of thing. Yeah, And then uh, when I started high school, I actually went up to live with my dad for a couple of years. And then... um,
0: That, that was a resolution to the Big Mike
1: problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, Big Mike had... Uh, he had resolved himself by that point. That, and, uh, unfortunately... Oh, really? Made things even more hinky. But, uh, yeah, I went up and lived with my dad, and then I just started... um going down into the city and auditioning for plays and stuff
0: and what'd your what's your old man do
1: my father was a cpa yeah uh and a professor yeah he had a phd in finance and he taught at DePaul paul university for i think almost 30 years Is that in chicago yeah
0: yeah so were you on campus a lot
1: well, my dad really wanted me to go to DePaul because, you know, he was tenured and he, all his kids could go there for free. And, yeah. And they have a really great theater school there. It's kind of renowned. So, um, But by that point, I had already started doing theater in the city and I didn't understand why I would go to college if I was already doing what I wanted to be doing. And you were learning on your own terms. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was this was the early '90s, and uh, it was a great time in the city. There were so many talented people. Steppenwolf Company. Uh, I I worked with them a little bit, but this was kind of um, there was because uh, Steppenwolf really created the Chicago theater scene to a large degree. Um, and that heard,
0: that had already been going for a while.
1: Yeah, but they yeah they had been going for a while, and then you know, back in the early '90s, I mean, they were like seemed like 200 companies in chicago really yeah how old were you like 20 i did my first play in uh, chicago when i was 16 yeah oh really yeah in what what theater well it was actually on the outskirts it was in the burbs it's a place called uh illinois theater center Uh uh-huh appropriately and um
0: and you just went out for it and got cast
1: yeah as in what show it's a really amazing play, actually. It's called Winter Set uh, by a writer Maxwell Anderson. He wrote uh, Key Largo as well. The movie or the play? The play, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The movie. And be, um, be an old guy, yeah. Wrote the movie. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think the play is the source material for the movie that they made. So he was an old dude. Yeah, this was about uh, you know the Italian anarchist Sacco and Vanzetti. Yes. So, what this play is, is imagining one of their sons trying to get justice after his father's been executed. He's kind of, now he's an orphan. And yeah. Set set in, like, the, what, the 30s or something? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's written in blank verse. And oh, really? Yeah, it's really unusual. It's funny, because I actually, I found a copy of it recently. I was thumbing through it, seeing if I could remember any of it. Yeah. It's been such a long time. And? Ago. It wasn't. It wasn't coming back to me. <laughs> it, was, it was like oh, I. I actually knew these lines once upon a time. How did it read to you? It's you know. It's very unique. It's. It's not like anything else you've read. You know. Um, some people should do it. So I did that play. And then I did a play a little bit closer to the city, and um, what was that one? It was two one acts by Howard Corder, who ironically wound up being one of the main writers on Boardwalk Empire. Really? Yeah, so it was kind of wild to... Was he involved in the production? No, no, no. This this was a little tiny theater he yeah. would have never heard of. But, yeah, these two plays called Fun and Nobody. And the first play, Fun, is about these two kids who ditch school one day, and they get in all kinds of trouble. And... uh Then the second play, Nobody, is about the the father of one of the kids who loses his job and kind of goes off the the rails. And um, my father was played by a fellow named Tracy Letts, who uh, has become one of the more significant people in my life, at least professionally. Um, But he was like the bee's knees at the time in Chicago, was like Tracy Letts, the best actor and... He was playing my dad, even and, though he was only nine. He's only nine years older than me. And that two. was
0: a that so that was sort of a big theater break in a way.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, and meeting him, you know, obviously led to some because he started writing and he wrote a couple of plays that I did. that... Bug yeah. kind of changed my life, yeah. Bug and Killer Joe, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, both of those, yeah. I yeah. saw both of those. Oh, really? Not, not on, on in the theater, but in right. the films. Oh, you I, saw the films. Well, yeah. I talked to Friedkin in here.
1: Oh, did you for a couple hours? Billy,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I love Billy. Oh, man, I haven't He's seen something. him in a while, yeah. You should call him, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, I don't even know if I have his number, but uh, yeah, and Killer Joe, I. I originated the part that Emil Hirsch plays in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that part 400 times. Really? So it had it all in Chicago? Well, it started in Chicago in this little theater, the same theater we did Fun and Nobody in. It started there, and it was a little tiny theater. You couldn't get more than 40 people in there. Uh, so we wound up doing it for like eight months, doing the play there. And then um, and then we went to the Edinburgh Festival in Scotland, yeah. and then we wound up doing it in London, and then uh, and then eventually wound up doing it in uh, New York. And how old were you then? When I did it in New York? Well, just like when that started. Oh, when that it started. I think, I think when Killer Joe opened, I was 19, maybe?
0: And like were you, so you just living in Chicago, and you, and you kind of you, you had uh, some great good breaks, and you were delivering, you know, yeah. as an actor. Yeah. What was the life like though? Were you were you a tormented dude? <laughs> were you like banging your head against the wall? What model of because uh, these these are dense plays. You seem like a, a, a thoughtful guy. Yeah. So I have to say, for you have to think for this stuff to resonate with you, you know, you, you have to have a certain amount of uh, of darkness in your own soul. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, I had some ammo back then, you know, I was, you know, I had gone through a lot first, the first, you know, 18 years of my life, so I had, um, some stuff to get off my chest, I guess, but, um... And it worked? Well, nothing ever really works. (laughs) There's no, there's no solution, (laughs) but, uh...
0: But you got good. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. one thing. Yeah, and that helps. You I honed guess. the craft, at least.
1: Yeah, and I got to the point where people would pay me to do it, which yeah. is a big big hurdle. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, so do you stay in touch with Let's?
1: Oh, yeah, we were just, um, we had a lovely little texting conversation uh, the other morning. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're hardly ever in the same place Yeah. at the same time, but uh, yeah, he's one of my, my best friends, you know. And was, uh, now, it, he was a Steppenwolf guy, right? He's definitely very much a Steppenwolf guy right now. He's, uh, yeah, he's joined the company and, and they they do his plays. And um, they're doing one of his plays this season, I think, a, a brand new play of his. But he's also, you know, he's worked with us a lot of other people too. Oh, he's acting now too. He's I think I saw him in that new show
0: Divorce on yeah, HBO. Yeah, he's in Divorce. He's, he's great.
1: He's been in a lot of great movies. Yep. This last season too, uh Wiener Dog, Christine and Indignation. Yeah, Which is cool yeah. because he when I first came out to LA, he was living here and he he couldn't get arrested. He was like, "What well, do I and it was hard for him because he was, in Chicago, he was kind of a, a legend for his yeah. stage work. and But that's the thing about L.A. is you can you can be great and come out here and just kind of fly into the window. You it's know?
0: A, yeah, Barton Fink. Yeah, it's exactly. It's been going on for, every, every, yeah. for, every,
1: for years. Yeah, right? Like in Chicago, though, were you were you going to theater? I mean, were you going to... Oh, yeah. I mean, it was my life. i see theater, do theater. I'd do it anywhere, see it anywhere. I mean, I started a little theater company um did plays in the you know basements of coffee houses and you know oh yeah anywhere you could put some folding chairs and a couple clamp lights you know and i wasn't like um terribly ambitious about it i wasn't i didn't have uh an agenda to kind of become a star or anything i just yeah. just loved doing it yeah.
0: being in it yeah it was like it, it, film wasn't really the interest it was
1: i mean i loved movies too i i would go see movies all the time yeah um we have some really beautiful old theater in chicago the music box theater yeah I would go there all the time but um but it didn't buy i wasn't pining to like you know a, a, a lot of my friends are l- like i used tracy as an yeah. example just now uh would would say oh, i gotta try la i gotta try and make some money at this stuff you know i can i can't live like this anymore and and uh and then they would come out here and get beat up struggle yeah and i was like oh, i don't i'm not doing that i'm i'm, I'm I, I know i'm not rich but i'm i'm having a pretty good time here so uh <laughs> yeah yeah, and what do you think? Like the vitality of it, you, you know,
0: because like it, it seems to me that you're innately a theater actor, you mm. know, right? That's where your heart is. Yeah, I love the theater and the the intensity of that, like the connection of that. I, I guess is something that is not like anything else.
1: Can be, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just finished doing last year, uh, Long Day's Journey into Night. Oh my God, uh, on Broadway, yeah. yeah, with Jessica Lange, Gabriel Byrne. How was that? It was I mean it was heaven, you know, and it's and it's hard as shit. I mean you just like you know, you go in for those Saturdays where you got two shows, and, you know, it's a four hour play about a family that's basically falling to pieces and um and you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna get through it but you get out on stage with those people and, and that dialogue and it's just the biggest rush in the world. Yeah, I, that was sort of like uh, Tracy's play. What was it, August? What? August, Osage County, yeah.
0: I saw that on Broadway. And I I, I thought that thing was devastating
1: and, and hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> He's very good at
0: devastating and hilarious.
1: Yeah, Tracy's got a... I mean, like, for example, when you asked me earlier about comedy. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of comedy in what no Tracy doubt. writes. Yeah. But it's, you, you know... I don't tend to do, like, straight-up comedy where there's nothing else involved. Uh, I... I I honestly I like it all uh, to have a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's, to me, it's like it's be like going to a salad bar and just getting lettuce. Right. I mean, you want to yeah. get
0: you want some depth, a little yeah. range. Yeah. Well, yeah. you did what? You worked with my friend Bob Odenkirk on that movie.
1: Oh yeah, let's go to prison. Yeah, yeah, that was a hoot. That's a that's pretty silly movie. That was a very silly movie. I mean, and I had to. I, there's no way I could take that seriously at all. I was right. playing a skinhead, so. I wasn't I wasn't anxious to get into right. to the psychology of that Just yeah. show up and be silly.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a rough psychology. Yeah. So when you came out here, you know, because my producer brought it to my attention that you know you had that there's yeah, this one little scene in Groundhog Day. Mhm. And that was They're
1: like, making a musical of Groundhog Day. I just saw this in the New York Times. A full page ad. Yeah. For Groundhog Day the musical. I was like, "I wonder if my part will be in there." <laughs> Will you get a little song? Have you ever yeah.
0: done musicals?
1: Well, when I was in high school, auditioning for stuff, yeah. uh I would get a little like I'd be in the ensemble you know, right, kind of doing the lame dance moves in the background uh, uh-huh. or sometimes I would play in the pit because I'm a musician too, so I'd play the bass and the you bass and, player yeah, at the time, yeah, I was yeah, I was playing bass there, so. But since I left school, I haven't done any musicals. No. No. How about music? Well, I have a band. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I, unfortunately, lately I haven't been really able to put much into. But uh, but we exist. Um, you play bass? No, in the band I uh, I sing and kind of haphazardly uh, s- strum a guitar. We made a CD. Um, a while ago, and you can find it on the internet, I What's think. it called? Well, the band's called Corporal. Mm-hmm. And the CD, the album's kind of, by default, it's called Glory, just because there's a sign that says Glory on the cover. <laughs> but I never technically called it that, but that's, I guess, what it's called. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: So when you work with, like, uh, when you do one scene, because, I like, you know, I'm looking at... All the films you've been in, you definitely had the opportunity to work with some pretty amazing directors. Oh, yeah. And and I, I imagine that, that has a profound influence on, on how you evolve as an actor on some level, no?
1: Yeah. I mean, it'd be hard to put it into words. Right. Um, because so much of uh, what I do is like an impulse and instinct and it's a lot of subconscious work, you know. It's um, Yeah? Yeah, it's... It, it, I don't have many conversations about, like, you know, acting theory or anything, but sometimes... Out of choice, or you just don't like to talk about it? Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't think anybody likes to talk about it. Well, no, that's not true. There are some people who like well, that.
0: Well, what, what yeah. I realize about talking to actors, because I have started to talk about the, the actual process, is that... Look, you know, either you can do it or you can't at the baseline.
1: It's kind of, yeah, that's kind of the way it is. And
0: you're going to put together whatever tools you have, you know, either on your own or you're going to get, you know, pounded with certain techniques that that either stick or they don't or they become part of your unconscious process. Right. But anybody who sort of thinks they have a way, they don't have a way. No.
1: (laughs) No, I think somebody... I heard recently some... Like Anthony Hopkins kind of broke it down that way. He said... People have been asking me my whole life, you know, what's your technique? What's your technique? He's like, I can't explain my technique to you. I don't... He's like, I think about it. I mean, you think, you know... And it sounds kind of cliche, but it really is like kids playing. I mean, you go in and you put on your your costume and you look in the mirror and you're like, oh, I'm going to be this person today. Yeah. What's what's this person doing today? What are they they trying to accomplish? And then you go out and you try to accomplish it and i think you know a lot of times you're just drawing on your imagination and all the experiences that you've had over the years as a human and 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 the observations you made of other people and and it just kind of comes out you know it's like trying to explain how you play skee ball? Yeah. I don't know. You roll the ball up the ramp and you hope it goes in the <laughs> hundred. And...
0: But also, when you're, I, I have to assume that having done all that kind of basement theater and bigger theater, and then being on stage, you know, on Broadway and O'Neill shows, that that the engagement, you know, once you're locked
1: in, yeah, that the emotional engagement, the ability to do that. Well, yeah, that that kind of uh, communion with other people. Yeah, it's fascinating because. At the end of the day, you don't necessarily know the people you're working with super well. Uh, Like, we didn't spend a lot of time together socially during Long Day's Journey in the Night. Um, Yeah. And yet, you're able to get to such an intimate place. And with a play like that, I mean, that material is full of... um, of longing and despair and, 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 and the despair of people that desperately love one another, but can't help but harm one another. And that's yeah. such a universal thing. I mean, it's not easy to do, but it's not complicated. You know, if and you just, I just find myself always saying, well, how does this relate to my experience, my life? And I can draw the parallels and then and then uh, jump into it, you know. Yeah, and even
0: like even in the new movie, the uh, the Nocturnal Animals, there's like that at first scene with you. There was some very specific choice to question that guy's masculinity.
1: Yeah, 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 <laughs> and yeah.
0: It, and it was a really you know uh, very startling turn. Yeah, you're right out of the gate, you're like, why, why, why would you do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, one, well, it's you know, it's really mean because. I think at that point everybody's feeling pretty sorry for Jake. I mean, yeah. he's, Jake's character has gone Jake through Gyllenhaal, some, yeah. yeah. He's Tony's gone through some pretty uh, gruesome stuff there, so he kind of just needs a hug. Yeah, and then and then I show up and I'm like, it doesn't sound like you handled this very well. <laughs> so, but that's again, that's comedy, right? That's to me, that's funny. Like, I mean, it's also. Disturbing and gruesome, but it's there's comedy in that.
0: Oh, know? definitely. Yeah. That that movie is definitely not a comedy, right? But but there is definitely that moment. Yeah, yeah. It's a very intertwined, uh, emotionally compelling thriller. Yeah, in a way, I get very I get very anxious watching movies like that. But oh, but yeah. this one, you know, because of the two tiers, the two different narratives going on, yeah. it was good. Yeah. You know, when he started dropping into her
1: life, and it was good, man. And you were oh, great. Man. Oh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, I, I was a Must be fun to play Texan. Yeah, Bobby's just... I just love the guy. I mean, um, you know, I'm a big fan of, like, Jim Thompson novels and things like that. Yep. To me, he's just... He's out of that world, you know, And, uh, and I just loved how the combination of his innate sort of nihilism but the fact that he couldn't help but get drawn into to Tony's dilemma and try and help him and care about him and and do something to help him feel better even though ultimately it's probably not going to make him feel better but at least you know he tried and it's yeah. compounded by you know he's got a chronic you know he's dying yeah 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 that is yeah
0: that is like a Jim Thompson character yeah yeah these characters that you do like I've seen like the Iceman is one of those movies where you're like that you played a real
1: killer yeah. a real dude yeah but we he was dead by the time he made the movie or he wasn't he yeah i know i never i never got to meet him I, I i and from what i heard i probably wouldn't have been brave enough to <laughs> okay. sit in a room alone with i heard he was very um a hard person to be alone with uh-huh. in, a, in a room but i did meet his kids which is really interesting, they came to the premiere. What's his uh, name? Richard Kuklins- Kuklinski? Kuklinski, uh, yeah. yeah. Richard Kuklinski. Savage. Yeah. yeah, but this was the thing, and the point I was going to make is that, you know, and really what drew me to that story in the first place is that despite um, his um, pathology, which was obviously very dark, he still longed to have um, a family, and he was trying. He, he was trying to have love in his life, like he wanted. He he wanted to have a, a good life, and he wanted to have a family, and he wanted to be loved and to love other people, and yet do this horrible stuff. At he was the same a contract time. killer, right? Yeah, yeah. A contract killer, and and you can see that, like when his kids are watching the movie, and they're there, and they come up to me, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, good, good job. It was was like, you know, that's my dad. That was my dad. You got it. And I, and I loved him. You know, and they loved him, and he loved them. And it's, it's that's. If that component hadn't been in the story, I don't think I would have been interested in doing the movie. Because then he would have been. uh, It just would have been one dimensional, irredeemable. Yeah. Yeah, well, and we have so many movies of people just running around killing people. It's not. I don't think it's something we're missing from our culture, necessarily. (laughs) People killing each other? Yeah. Or movies movies about In movies or real life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I I saw Mud. Mud was at the Matthew McConaughey thing. Yes, with the
1: two little boys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just love working with Jeff. I mean, he's made five films, and I've been in all of them. Jeff Nichols? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like my brother, you know. So. What,
0: what makes it uh, what 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 is it about the uh, the relationship that that makes it great as an actor to work with
1: a director like that? You know, we're both from the South yeah. originally, and I think we have similar tastes and similar thought patterns, concerns about you know the world. Like for me, take shelter is the most meaningful kind of significant piece I've done. And, and, um, the fact that Jeff wrote it, Jeff was able to put down on paper basically the summation of all my deepest anxieties and, and that I was able to get the opportunity to make that into a movie. Uh, it's just a very, uh, it's startling when you have that much synchronicity with with somebody. And you, you think it, it's relative to you guys being from the south? I, you know, that's part of it. Part of it's just dumb luck. You yeah. know, I mean, um, I mean, Jeff's You know, I he's got qualities that I, I think anyone would admire. Uh, he's a really hard worker. He's really intelligent. He's uh, he's very uh, he is he. Stands by his convictions. Uh he's not afraid to walk into any room anywhere and say what he wants and how he plans to go about getting it. And uh but he's also very uh kind. Uh he's not a, a bully or anything and um I don't know. And he's, that and, yeah. and that movie's about doom? Well, for me to take shelter's about how do you function in this world, particularly if you have people that you care about, particularly children, you know, the the storm that's coming is like a, it's a metaphor. It's, you know, there's always a storm, some sort of storm coming. There's something horrifying happening that you're not sure you're going to be able to protect your children from. I mean, for example, right now, this week, you know, I have two little girls And I can't stop thinking about what the world's going to be like for them. Yeah, and and you don't have you don't. I mean, I hate to sound like I'm giving up, but it seems like you don't have any control over it. So what do you do? You know, do are you able to just enjoy your life anyway? Is it you know living in the moment or whatever? Or do you how do you not get crushed by this sense that? That the world's just out of control, right? And how do you? Oh, well, I just go pretend to be other people and <laughs> do imaginary things. Um, I don't know, and I I, I I do believe a lot. A lot of it is just taking each day as it comes and realizing that the the time that you have right then, there in the moment is is is, is special, but. And you also have to you have to try and if you if you really believe that something's wrong, you have to try and do something about it, yeah, which I'm still trying to wrap my head
0: around. Well I mean, it's interesting that you know you say that that movie is is you know comes out of uh, this relationship of a couple of guys from a, a part of the country that that gets you know hung out to dry as being this you know difficult place yeah for for a lot of the reasons that i think you know we're all feeling now yeah. now w- was that part of your experience
1: well yeah i mean we shot the movie in and around uh, grafton ohio uh-huh. which is not uh, you know i i i'm i'm pretty certain it's the only movie that's ever been made in grafton ohio um it's not like the the hollywood of the midwest or something Right. and um Yeah, I stayed, uh, when we were shooting the movie, I was staying downtown, which was basically like a block-long strip, uh, and I was staying in like an abandoned building, um, uh, and there was definitely a sense of like, it's hard to live here, it's not easy to live here, and I have so much it's so frustrating cuz i really understand how people feel i understand that they're the, the. They, 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 it's hard to have hope right now and, and 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 people feel like they've been screwed over and but at a certain point um you just have to take responsibility for yourself and realize that someone else isn't going to fix all your problems but but yeah, I th- I think that's um the the, the people they're the good people, you know. Yeah. It's it's just a confusing time yeah. in our country because cuz the solution is not in arms reach. It seems right. like it's not and right. it's not what just happened. That's not going to solve anything. Yeah. So what is going to fix it? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well that's the interesting thing is that
0: like even like when I travel like I travel all over the place you know and for years the the south was stigmatized in my mind right you know for whatever historical reasons but that has nothing to do necessarily with individual people you know so no. you get to this thing where you know I find myself you know I love the country down there I've I've met nothing but good people yeah you know a you know I don't know them intimately or personally, or, or what lurks in their hearts, or, or, or how they're going to act out right. of their own fear and frustration, or maybe I didn't meet those people. Maybe I met a lot of like-minded people, but I certainly have been able, as I've gotten older, to to realize that you know the country is made up of people, and all those people have their own you know little lives and problems. But by and large, you know, you can meet them somewhere in the middle, right? You know, and it, it becomes very you know frustrating when you see. Mass is guided one way or the other. That, right. you know, people are, are, their, their ability to just sort of like, you, you know, at least appreciate that we all share
1: something becomes shattered. Yeah. Well, it's just not, there's a weird thing happening right now with how people are understanding the world and kind of creating their own identity you know because it used to be that these places are you know, you can say the south or the midwest or whatever yeah. you, that it would be fairly isolated and, right and um, but there's this weird combination of uh, being isolated and yet being inundated through technology by like everything that's happening yeah. in the world and this false sense of like, oh, I understand. Right. Because I'm getting all this information all the time. I get it on my internet and my TV. I know exactly what's going on. Right. Even though I am very isolated from all of it. Um, and then that information is dubious. Yeah, it's false. Yeah. So it's, 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 um. I almost wish that we could just go back to when that wasn't so readily available all the time and and because i don't i'm not necessarily sure that it's helping um it's a false sense of community that is you know very easily
0: the momentum of it is just brutal
1: yeah yeah it's uh i mean you can see i mean um you know the campaign was run by a guy who's a media you know right has a media company right and he knows how to work people how to work it you know yeah yeah but you know, as
0: a, as a, a creative person now, I mean that's you know all this stuff begins to inform your, your, your you know how you're going to do your work, and we got it. We have to assume that the work we do is provocative, yeah. And that you know maybe it, you know maybe it'll level out and 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 do, like that's the amazing thing about theater is that you can tangibly feel how it touches humanity, yeah. You know immediately the emotional yeah. uh, dynamic between a
1: performer and and the audience is like you feel it hit, yeah. You know. It's uh yeah it's like well and you did uh you've you've done stand up and stuff yeah right? yeah so you you get that too right I mean well yeah uh, no
0: absolutely and you know depending on how vulnerable you want to be yeah. you know you know if you're in a character it, you, I, I I imagine it doesn't necessarily make it any safer right. but that's the courage of it right so I'm gonna put myself out there because you know I gotta own that right right
1: yeah but it can be you know. For me, I always find it helpful to focus less on whether I think I'm doing a good job or not or, like, the glory of my own whatever and just focus more on the experience that all the people are having together. Right, right, yeah. Like, it's... I don't need people to, like, stand up and shout my name afterwards, but (laughs) I, I do want people to... To get wrapped up in it, sure. Because it's, uh, you know, particularly something like Long Days During the Night is uh, very worthwhile. You know. Yeah. And when you say, like, my question lately, because I've, I've been
0: doing a little acting, is just that there, there is something about, you know, because you're, you know, Michael Shannon, you're your own guy, and, you know, you're going to bring to it whatever it is. But this,
1: this text, this story, this play has existed for decades. Yeah. You know, it, it is what it is. Well, and the Giants have. I mean, you're walking in the footsteps of the Giants when you play that part, Jamie, in Long Day's Journey Into Night. Is Jason Robards the last person to have done it on Broadway was Philip Seymour Hoffman. So it's like, yeah, you better bring your right. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: but you have to. But also that your relationship with that text. I mean, there. You know, I, I guess what what I'm trying to say is, as an actor, is that it's very important to to remember that you know that's the story. Yeah. Right you exactly. you know like whatever your worries are about you know you know uh who you are as an actor or whatever right. you know there 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 it is right you know I you know they it's all it's laid out for you, and that that's what you're telling,
1: yeah, and how how much can you land that with the audience right Like, it, you, ideally you know one of the frustrating things about acting or you could consider it frustrating if if you want, but yeah. uh is that ideally it's invisible you're not seeing it right so there's other things i can think of that are kind of like that but you know you're really you want to be i refer like you're an aperture between the story what you're talking about and the audience right and how much can you get out of the way and that doesn't mean not doing anything right it's very very difficult but make it fluid yeah it's a mysterious thing did you ever work with uh phil hoffman he directed me in a play oh really and he was a wonderful director, and a, he a wonderful person, and and very tough, you know. Very, he never, never satisfied. Always, you can go deeper. You can go deeper. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which but play? that's what he did yeah. to himself, you yeah. know. So he expected it of other people. Um, it was a play called "The Little Flower of East Orange" by a writer named Stephen Adley Gerges. He just had a play called. Between Riverside and Crazy, that was kind of a big deal in New York, and also uh, he wrote The Mother with the Hat uh, in the Hat. Uh, yeah, with the Hat. Uh, that was also on Broadway. He's he's. This is all part of a theater company, uh, Labyrinth Theater Company, in New York. Um, that was his. That, th- that, that his Phil company. Phil yeah. was artistic. Yeah. One, one of the artistic directors of, and um, and Stephen was kind of like the resident. One of the resident writers yeah. for the company. So, yeah, I did that at the Public Theater. Uh, Ellen Burstyn played my mom, and oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then also, uh, Phil and I are both in the movie uh, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, the last film that Sydney Lumet made. Oh yeah, I saw that. Uh, um, movie. We didn't really have much. To do together, he basically just shot me. <laughs> yeah, okay, he yeah. just comes in, blows <laughs> me away. But uh I most of my stuff was with Ethan yeah, Hawk. I had him in here. He's a thoughtful guy. He really is. And such uh got like mercury in him or something. Yeah. He's just so <laughs> he lit up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and passionate and yeah I mean one of the things you always hear about acting or when people are talking about film acting teaching film acting it's like one of the main things you gotta do is you gotta relax right you gotta relax and stop like freaking out you know unless you're doing a scene where you're losing your shit but uh, you know it's about being relaxed and, and and having a certain amount of confidence not arrogance but it's like I, I can do this right it's, it's, the world isn't going to end I will I will say these lines and yeah. everything will be okay and
0: we'll do and it again and, yeah. and
1: again and yeah, again yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> from all different angles yeah I, my, I have a problem with like modulating my voice because I'm always yelling but I mm-hmm. I've decided that I do that in real life too yeah that my natural voice is like how how's it going yeah yeah and I, I because when you're on a sound stage or you're in a studio, like you feel like you got to fill the room. Exactly. You seem to like. Yeah, I guess that's another decision you got to make. It's like I can just talk like a person.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, sometimes even quieter than that. I mean, sometimes you'd it, be shooting a scene, somebody be five feet away from you, and you can barely hear what they're saying, but it sounds great on their, you know, la- right, lavalier yeah, mic. Yeah, you're, you know? you're mic'd up. Yeah. yeah, But Um, I used to have that problem. I was a very loud. People were always telling me it's like. I can hear you. I can hear you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but then it was funny when you started doing stage, then everyone's like your diction's terrible. I can't understand what you're saying. And then so then I had to work on that. And now I think I've found the the middle road. The middle
0: road? Yeah. So what was it? On um, Boardwalk Empire. How was um y- the, how was it to work in a period piece for that long? It must have been kind of brain bending after a while.
1: Well, you know, it was interesting just because I never really spent that much time there, you know, um, outside of Steve, and even Steve towards the end, uh, Nucky was not uh, 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 around every day, um, but, you know, like, it would take six months to shoot uh, a season of Boardwalk, and, yeah. and and you'd be there maybe 20, 25 days, or right. a six-month period, and... It feels like you're a big part of the show, you know, uh, because of the storytelling or whatever, but you're just, it's not your everyday thing. So, in a way, it's what's tricky about it is you're just popping in every once in a while and popping back into that world, you know. Um, The design on that show was so amazing. That always helps. Yeah, it just got to the point where it was kind of like, he was just like an old buddy of mine. It was like, oh, I'm gonna go see Van Alden today, <laughs> and then um, at the end of the day, I said well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah, well, you know, bye. <laughs> uh, but it, it did not dominate my my life really. How know? did you manage to come out of Chicago and not um
0: like I, were you ever like a a, a manic yelling actor? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I mean, th- th- yeah, that was part of the the vibe sometimes yeah. around there but yeah. um yeah my first review i ever got when i was doing that play winter set uh, yeah. the critic was like this guy thinks acting's waving his arms around and rubbing his forehead like uh, he's just oh god and it was a guy great critic uh richard christensen at the tribune uh but then he came and saw the next one and he said well Technically, this guy's not so hot, but he's got something going on. I have to concede there's something interesting about him. <laughs>
0: he's not waving his arms around in this
1: one. Yeah, I, I yeah, I just had to get some duct tape and tape him down. But Tracy,
0: like as a director, because that stuff's very engaged stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I imagine he directed you a few times, right? Tracy?
1: Yeah. Well, he I, I would either work with him as an actor or a writer. He would never, never direct. actually direct. Um, uh-huh. th- when we did Killer Joe, it was a director named Wilson Milam. And when we did Bug, uh, well, Wilson directed first production of Bug and then uh, Dexter Bullard. Uh, Dexter Bullard, who directed Fun and Nobody, the play that I met uh, Tracy on. Those was so, very intense. I mean, they're very, like, you know, paced, man.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, and, and, like, you know, it's just the, the, the sort of psychological movement and then the actual physical movement yeah, the emotional yeah, movement. It's like, boom. Like, yeah. you know, like just everything's blowing
1: up all the time. And we would do the, like I said, we would, we would do these shows in very small theaters where um, there was no room for the audience to escape uh, from it. Um, and we would do them... As, um, we really wanted it to seem voyeuristic, like, you know, what, what you were getting the chance to see had nothing to do with you and you, you were basically, you know, the proverbial fly on the wall. Yeah. Uh, that it would be happening whether you were there or not. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I hear people to this day every once in a while, uh, they, when I did Bug in New York, someone will come up and say, uh. I still I still remember that you know that feeling I to, I've never been that tense in a, a theater before <laughs> I've never experienced that
0: and you're like perfect
1: yeah yeah, yeah we did it Yep. <laughs> and
0: yeah. how did Freed direct that because I talked to him about it and I yeah. tried to sort of push his buttons about digital versus film right. you know because he was very able to you know in his films to get something visceral uh, but he loves digital he loves it
1: yeah, well, it, it, it speeds up the process. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be definitely in the the school of, you know, let's get home, yeah. uh, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> a, a, a lot of the, you know, more established directors are, you know, I mean, uh, Sidney Lumet was the same way. Uh, it was like, why stay here for 14 hours when right. we can be done in eight hours right. and then we can like go have a nice dinner or something right Um, was it exciting to work with those guys yeah it is because if you're working with somebody that you know is going to do a lot of coverage or a lot of takes then the first take you do you're kind of like well let's just see what happens and um, maybe I'll (laughs) learn something but if you know if you're working with somebody like Clint Eastwood it's like which I haven't done but I've just heard it's you the, the one take you know unless something blows up that's it so it's a different kind of um, and you know
0: that going in yeah, yeah
1: so it requires you can't just be like let's see what happens you have to you know it's more demanding I right
0: mean, yeah. right and you and but and also the, you're dealing with personalities too I imagine yeah because I, I I have to assume having having talked to uh, Friedkin for two hours yeah
1: uh, there, there's definitely an intensity there well he was very you know he. You know, he saw Bug the play, and, um, and he just loved Tracy's writing. And he, yeah. loved, he loved the production, and, and he just really kind of... I don't know how to say this without sounding uh, ostentatious, but he was just like, you know what you're doing. Like, you know this guy better than, you know... Because he had to fight to get me in that movie, because the... The, the the financiers were like "Can't we, let's get a big movie star or something and, and I freaking was like I'm telling you you can get you, you can name any name you want to name right now but you're not going to tell me somebody's going to do this who's going to know how to do this more than this kid does
0: and you originated the role
1: yeah yeah so I owe Billy big time for that because
0: yeah. uh, he really went to bat for me. So what's these new movies coming out that are that you know? Uh, and Nocturnal Animals is is very it's great. It looks great. That guy Tom Ford. I didn't know much about him, but it seems like he's a kind of a came around to directing sort of sideways.
1: Yeah, but you know he he's very respectful of the fact that. Uh, that people come together and help him make these films, and he knows that it's like a, a real uh, privilege. Yeah, and he, and he takes it very seriously. Um, and he's a real student of uh, of film and uh-huh. cinema. I mean, there's so many influences, obviously, all over. On uh, nocturnal animals, um, right? Right out of the gate, it felt like a, a kind of a film noir movie. Yeah, just by the look of it. Yeah, and that DP, Seamus McGarvey, is incredible. There's some. Some of my favorite shots of the sky are I've ever seen in a movie are in Nocturnal Animals. he just really he use the sky so well. Do you feel like you're starting to get typecast or no? No, no, right. I don't. I I I mean for me it's like all my all these characters are they're different they're just different folks, you know. I mean, I think um because I am ultimately at the end of the day one human being, yeah. But, uh, I don't know if I can completely disappear all the time. I mean, you're probably seeing some similarities, uh, but uh, for me, they're, they're they're all different different folks. You just bring that. You bring the uh, the, the intensity to it. Yeah,
0: you are. I, I saw you on a plane once. Really? Yeah. Uh, I didn't say nothing to you. No, I fly constantly. Yeah, I don't remember what it was that struck me. I knew I was nervous. Oh really? I saw you know my guys, Michael Shannon, and then like you know I I don't remember if I was sitting in first class or I know I think you were and I can't remember what it was I I don't know if you didn't have shoes on or there was something <laughs> I can't remember there there was something like like that like you you held the space pretty fucking well yeah you know? <laughs> even if you were just
1: sitting down I take my shoes off from time to time yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. well yeah you got to you know yeah well those long flights oh, yeah. otherwise it's the you get all clammy downer Do you
0: live right in the in Manhattan.
1: I live in uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, in, in Red Hook. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it. I live right by the uh, the river there. I can see the uh, Statue of Liberty from my window, which is nice. It's
0: beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I was just there. I, I you know, I, I lived there for years. I don't know if I want to live there again, but I, I like being there. Yeah. So Where did you live at? I lived in I, in the late '80s. I lived down in Alphabet City, second between A and B. Oh wow. And then uh, moved up to Sixteenth uh, and Third little uh, pre-war high rise there That's a very yeah. interesting place uh, and then i moved to astoria for a pretty long haul
1: i never go to queens i was just talking about this the other day i, I and i hear it's so interesting out there but i, I just never it. get it and, get and it was there before i was there like i don't know if it ever really
0: turned into a hipster enclave but yeah. the amazing thing about astoria was you know you get off that end train at uh you know 30th ave and it was just like all hours of the day it was just like every kind of person in the world just buying vegetables like you right when you get off there's just these like three or four vegetable places and there's just people there till like midnight right you know buying greens you know greek people people from dominican republic people from you know uh, middle eastern countries then up on steinway there's that whole egyptian block right that you know you just you just walk around the corner and it's like i never even knew what egyptian pastries look like and there they are it was just it was a real melting pot oh it totally yeah, and I, yeah. I imagine it still is yeah you know I just I just miss uh the things I miss about New York is just everything's so alive and you know and all the food like you know you go there I used to go to the fish market across the street and there's these three guys there Italian guys they've been running it as family business and you just go I didn't even need fish I just <laughs> go into to look at fish right because <laughs> it was there yeah and those guys were there and yeah. I talk about fish for a few minutes <laughs> that's what I that's what I like about are you me. a cook I cook. I can cook. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a foodie kind of gourmet guy, but I can. Yeah, I could cook a fish. Yeah. Yeah. It's not always a happy event. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've fucked up some attempts at soft shell crabs and, like you know, but like you know, just you know, nobody likes bluefish because it's you know oily and smelly. But if you get it, I love bluefish. Me too. You get it the day of; it's the best. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like the it's like a pigeon fish. You know, no one gives a fuck about bluefish, (laughs) but you can just go get
1: it in New York fresh because it's all over the place and. I don't know mackerel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you cook? I I'm not very good myself, which is sometimes uh, inconvenient because I have a couple of kids. Um, it's just you and the kids? No, I mean Ma's around too, but she's a great cook. But you know, every once in a while, it's up to me to make breakfast. Or <laughs> yeah, right yeah, now. sure. Yeah. How old are your kids? I have an eight-year-old and a two-year-old. Wow. So they're just you're just watching them become people. Yeah, apparently today they they went into the city. I know this won't help because it's a podcast, but I could show you. This is my eight-year-old daughter with a sign she made to go protest in front of Trump Tower. Oh. Diversity makes America. That's sweet. Eight years old. She gets it. Yeah so uh anyway, that's what you gotta do that's yeah, what you man. gotta teach' him. that's how you that's how we push back, yeah, yeah, I miss her i miss i hate being away uh so much, but um yeah, they're becoming people all right, and then the little one the two year old she's a real she's a real powder keg she's i think she's gonna be a rock and roller, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that'd be all right, right,
1: yeah, she loves to dance and sing and and beautiful. Yeah. That's gotta bring a, a lot of joy. Definitely. It's
0: Definitely. great talking to you, man. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing it. No problem. Pretty intense dude. Great talking to him. Good guy. We hung out for a little while after. We we had we talked a little more, connected, talked about art, the future, about being people let's keep it simple let's keep it simple